1: Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with Matt Eddy, I'm John Manuel. We want to remind you that Baseball America books are all available at baseballamerica.com store. We've got the Almanac's already out. The prospect Handbook is to press. Directory is next. Super register after that. The calendar. Lots of product. <clears throat> Excuse me, at baseballamerica.com slash store. The product, Prospect Handbook went to press right before the end of 2013, should be back from the printer in late January for shipping, so if you haven't already ordered your prospect handbook, we strongly encourage that. One of the other publications in the Baseball America panoply of books is uh, one we've started doing the last couple of years in conjunction with the National Baseball Hall of Fame and, and Museum. It is the Hall of Fame's official Hall of Fame almanac, and every year we add whoever gets inducted into the Hall of Fame. And last year's book was a little sad to do, Matt, because no one was inducted in January 2013. But this year we have... Six inductees, three managers, three players. It's going to be an action-packed induction ceremony at Cooperstown in the summer of 2014. And it was a very uh, discussion-worthy process this year. We have a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about the Hall of Fame because we do this Hall of Fame book. And let's start off, Matt, with the three guys who did get in. Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, and Frank Thomas. We're not going to talk too long about those those guys. When I say Greg Maddox... What's the first thing that comes to your mind besides Alan Schwartz's really great story that we reran on BaseballAmerica.com yesterday from 1996? That's the first thing that always comes to my mind, Doug Mapson signing him and that whole story. What, what's first for you with Greg uh, Maddox? Uh,
2: the Cy Youngs, the career wins. I think he's top ten in um,
1: innings and starts. Yeah, I mean, he's on the short list of best pitchers of all time. Mm-hmm. I think you and I look at this fairly similarly, actually, in that <clears throat> when we're measuring best of all time things... I feel like you and I both make some pretty significant. Um, I think you kind of like to cut things off. You really like to start measuring things in 1961 mm-hmm. expansion era. I like to really start with Jackie Robinson. I almost, I wouldn't say I completely discount everything that happened pre-integration, but I'm pretty close at that point. Yeah. Um, and as far as drawing conclusions about the sport, I really think it's useless to consider anything pre-integration. And I almost think it's useless to consider anything pre-expansion. Jet travel, teams on the West Coast, uh, all those things really... 1960s really neat starting point, or 61, right? I mean, is, that's pretty much how you it do is, these yeah. things.
2: Because teams started to more efficiently funnel amateurs to the major leagues by way of the draft yep. and codifying the minor leagues. That all happened in the 60s, the mid-60s.
1: Correct. Uh, absolutely. The, the baseball that we see today is more similar to... That's that, This system of the way the game is played started really closer to 1960, mm-hmm. and baseball pre-World War II really doesn't have a whole lot of... It's not just the wool uniforms. It's the fact that every player was white, and it's the fact that there was no developed farm system, no draft. It was just a different game, mm-hmm. and I don't feel it's useful for study to instructively to tell us anything about players in the current era. So if we're going post-expansion, I think Greg Maddox is a great case to be best pitcher of that era. I'm not sure he is, but he has a his resume is as good as anybody's.
2: Impeccable, yeah.
1: I think Tom Glavin's resume for left handed pitchers is on the very short list of best left handed starting pitcher. It's clearly not Randy Johnson's, but other than Randy Johnson, I mean Sandy Koufax, Steve Carlton. Steve Carlton, Carlton's probably the best one other than Johnson. But after that, Glavin's probably in that discussion. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, yeah, for me, I mean, for, that's what it comes down to. I know you're a Mets fan, and so you try to get past the last start of the 2007 season with Tom Glavin. That's a, that sticks in my head somewhat with, with Tom Glavin. But what else would you think of when you think of Tom Glavin's career? Uh, well, he has defining moments that separate him. He's got, in addition to the two Cy
2: Youngs, he also has the Game 6 performance in the 95 World Series that gave, yep. uh, I think,
1: as I recall, Atlanta its only major
2: professional sports championship.
1: Correct. I don't think there's a I don't think there's an Atlanta Flames NHL Stanley Cup championship lurking in the background there. But yeah, that that 95 uh, World Series didn't just it wasn't just Atlanta's only World Series win or for any professional sports team. It came against an unbelievable Indians team and an unbelievable lineup that included Big Jim uh, as they called him in Taiwan, Ma Ni this year, uh, Manny Ramirez, Jim tomi. Albert Bell at the peak of his craziness. Um, Kenny Lofton, shockingly no longer on the Hall of Fame ballot after last year. Uh, That was a very quick he gone. Um, That was a great uh, and really epic Indians lineup. It was a 1,000-run team in a 144-game season. I think it's kind of hard to remember just how good that offense was that he neutralized. So uh, if you're going to have a defining moment, that's a pretty good one to have. Um, And then Frank Thomas... Who, this was the most shocking stat I saw on all these free all the Hall of Fame stuff yesterday. How about the fact that Frank Thomas is the first player from the Southeastern Conference ever inducted in the National Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum? I mean, this is the best conference in college baseball in the last 25 years. Um, historically, the Pac 12 slash Pac 10 slash Pac 8 has been the best college, conference in college baseball. But in the last twenty five years it's been it's been the Southeastern Conference. Starting in nineteen ninety when Georgia won a national championship. You have Georgia, you have five by L S U, and you have two by South Carolina, you have eight in the last 24, 25 seasons. That's better than anybody else. But he's the first SEC player inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum. Um that's that's stunned me. Um that's not that's not the first thing I think of with Big Frank, but now it kind of is because I saw that stat on Auburn's website yesterday and that that kinda of blew me away, man. It really did. Uh what do you attribute that to? Like, wh- who are some of the the just missed guys? That's a good question. I think I attribute that partially to the newness of the SEC's dominance. Its recent dominance. Um, I don't know who the next SEC guy will be. Um, I think a lot of. I mean, I, I, I really, I, I haven't given it enough thought of what to attribute it to. I guess part of it is that Bo Jackson didn't have a longer career in baseball and wasn't good enough in baseball. Um, you know, I'm not. You know, Mark Pryor got hurt. He was an SEC player for one year. He was at Vanderbilt. I'm not sure. I really don't know. I couldn't tell you. Um, I, I it just, it stunned me. I, I mean, Todd Helton probably won't go to the Hall of Fame. He went to Tennessee. Uh, Todd Walker's one of the all-time best players in SEC history. He's not going to the Hall of Fame. Um, Rafael Palmero and Will Clark, two of the better pro careers of guys who played in the SEC. They ain't, they ain't getting in a in the in Hall of Fame and. Rafael Palmiro for sure, not getting in unless the Veterans Committee lets him in, which is hard to see. But he fell off the ballot this week, which is uh, kind of stunning. We'll talk about that some later. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I I couldn't tell you. I, I really don't know the reason. I mean, like Bobby Richardson coached at South Carolina. I don't know if he played there, but uh, he it wasn't a Hall of Fame player, was he? He was a good mm-hmm. player for the great Yankees teams. But yeah, it, it was just it's stunning. I really I can't tell you why. Uh, I, I would have thought Albert Bell was on a Hall of Fame track, but that didn't happen either. So. Mm-hmm. It's a little stunning. I don't know what to attribute that to, but Frank Thomas, your first SEC alumnus, first guy who played at an SEC school in college baseball to get in the Hall of Fame, and in my mind, the best right-handed hitter that I can think of that I saw in my lifetime. I mean, just from from a peak standpoint, hitting for average, hitting for power, getting on base, that guy was at his best, as good. You could put his best seasons in anybody's career, and they wouldn't look out of place. His best seasons would not look... Like outliers in Babe Ruth's career, they would not look like outliers in Barry Bonds' career. They would not look like outliers in anybody's. He was that good at his peak. I think the closest
2: analog we have today is Miguel Cabrera. Right. Like we were we were looking at him before the show. Yep. Like just a player with crazy amounts of black ink, and and you know career totals are getting up near that level. It is
1: Miguel Cabrera's the. Uh, you know actually Miguel Cabrera probably is the better version in a lot of ways. He's a purer hitter, that's for sure. Because Frank Thomas certainly had that. Walt Reniak, Charlie Lau, head down, head is still, front foot, uh, no, you know the follow-throughs all one arm, um, that approach that you you saw so much in the 80s and that George Brett perfected from the left side of the plate. Frank Thomas did it from the right side of the plate, and then he combined it with the strength of a 6'5", 280-pound behemoth mm-hmm. who, at that size, maintained a fair level of athleticism, at least as a hitter. So, uh, very unique player, I think, in baseball history in terms of how he did it, not necessarily unique in what he did, but he's pretty close to unique as a, uh, you know, and I guess now he also goes into the Hall of Fame as the mo- highest percentage of games played as a designated hitter, mm-hmm. so a little more of a nod toward the age of specialization here with Frank Thomas uh, getting in. Um, then um, what else comes to mind with you with, 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 the, with Big Frank besides hawkisms? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I keep going yeah. to, that, to that route. Well, the, the biggest thing is is you know why
2: Frank Thomas and not Jeff Bagwell yep. and not Mike Piazza yep. two contemporary uh, power hitting right handed hitters, um, arguably with greater defensive value. I mean, especially Piazza in terms of being able to play catcher. Yep. yep. And, and the separator, what it you know if, if you're if you're kind of uh, skeptic, you would say the separator
1: might be just that Thomas vociferously uh, came out against steroid use. He really did. Uh, just read that that uh, really impressive Grantland piece. I forget who wrote it, but um, it was a very impressive piece on the coverage of steroids and like, kind of a history of baseball writers covering steroids, kind of starting with Tom Boswell going on Charlie Rose's show in the '80s and saying, "Yeah, I think I think Jose Canseco's using steroids," you know, and then tracing it from there. And it mentions in the story how Frank Thomas and Tony Gwynn were two of the loudest. Players as in the PED era who were active players saying that this, this is not an equal playing field. You know something's going on here, and uh, I won't I won't annoy everybody with my Tony Gwynn impersonation. I love Tony, and I love doing impersonations of Tony. But but Frank Thomas, he was ahead of the curve, complaining about it. Certainly a player who's I think the fact that he played SEC football, Matt, as a part-time tight end. Gave him cover where people just didn't question whether he he came into pro ball huge, mm-hmm. and uh, Jeff Bagwell didn't. Mike Piazza was a sixty second round pick, so people want to make those kind of leap to those conclusions. Um, yeah, I think it does give all those things give Frank Thomas cover playing in a PED era, and he's never been tarred with that brush. And I do I do think it helped him get to eighty three percent in the balloting. Jeff Bagwell uh, and, and you know, Jeff Bagwell's teammate always linked with Craig Biggio. Craig Biggio falls two ballots short of getting in. That was a surprise that he didn't get in after getting 68% last time. Um, I always link Bagwell and Biggio. And it really does seem like, Matt, those two guys have a little bit of that suspicion just by being teammates of Ken Caminiti, who is the poster boy of steroid use and is very prominent in that story. One of the great things about that Grantland story is that it talked about how both Bob Nightingale and Tom Verducci were trying to get Caminiti They both knew him. They were both working on steroid stories. Verducci just got him first. And uh, Mm -hmm. would it have had the same impact if it had been in USA Today Sports Weekly, where Nightingale was working? I believe Nightingale was at Sports Weekly at the time. He may have just been in the L.A. Times. I think it actually had greater impact, the story, the Caminiti story, because it was in Sports Illustrated, because they just put the two syringes on the cover. Um, But Verducci got, got to him first, and the way it describes it is, it was basically a, an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, and it was Ken Caminiti saying, Hi, I'm Ken Caminiti, and I'm a steroids abuser. And that's basically how that went. But it feels like the proximity to Caminiti is the reason that there's more suspicion around BGO and
2: Bagwell. With the early 90s Astros, and you look across the state in Texas, and you might say the same thing about those early 90s Rangers. Yeah. Uh, what we've seen, Rafael Palmero uh, he tested positive. He's a little yep. different. But we're going to see with Ivan Rodriguez. When he comes on the ballot, these are all teammates of Jose Canseco. Yep, with the Rangers.
1: Absolutely. I mean, like you think of Canseco's Rangers tenure, and the first thing you think of is you know him headbutting the ball <laughs> over the fence. But the other thing you think of is that Canseco was there, and the juiced book, uh, which was one of the all-time moments in baseball America history. When we were talking about Canseco's book, and I was, uh, I, I don't think I, I don't I don't remember the conversation. I'm sure I was denying that 80 percent of players use because that was the number he threw out. I know I didn't believe that then. I don't know if I believe it now. I don't think I thought it was 80%. I still don't think it was 80%, but it was... was, I I do think it was probably 50%. But he said in the book, 80% of players used. And I called him a liar. And Alan Matthews stood up from his cubicle and railed, He's not a liar, John! I had to do a Matthews impersonation. And it's one of the all-time quotes that we still throw around in the office, along with uh, many other Alan Matthews-isms, such as, I ain't got nothing on him. Um... But my favorite one is, he's not a liar, John. And Allen was right, and I was wrong, and Kit Seiko was right. And those players from the the Rangers, Pudge Rodriguez is going to be a fascinating guy to watch. Because if Piazza can't get in, in some ways, Piazza has a better resume than Pudge. And in some other ways, I think Pudge Rodriguez has a better resume. But if Piazza can't get in, how's Ivan Rodriguez going to get in? I mean, when he was actively playing, and he showed up, I guess seventy five percent of the man that he used to be with the Tigers that one year. I mean everybody just openly said what's going on with Pudge Rodriguez. So Piazza not getting in uh I don't know, I, I really do think it's kind of bull that guys say, well, he was a sixty second round pick and then all of a sudden got that big got that good. To Matt, to me, Matt, that's just baseball. But I mean, it is hard to look back through it and he certainly I don't think is helped by Murray Chass and his back acne campaign against Because in some quarters, for some reason, Murray Tass has credibility because he once worked at the New York Times. Well, it's important to realize, too, that Piazza
2: and Bagwell still have a majority of support. They just don't have 75%. That is
1: important to remember. Um, A lot of players, and the other player who's kind of hovering in that range is Tim Raines. Let's talk about Raines and Biggio because that's another player that I think we should lump Biggio in with, Matt. Because when you talk greatest uh, leadoff men of all time and – and then we narrow it down to the John and Matt category of let's say expansion era greatest off man of all time number 1 it's it's clearly Ricky Henderson Tim Raines is always talked about as in that next level I always thought Craig Biggio was that next guy too right there with Reigns how do you how do you size those two guys up against each other because it feels like Reigns had a little bit more offensive value but that might be mitigated by the fact that Biggio played catcher and second base not left field
2: yeah uh I would say they're probably pretty similar. You know, Biggio gives you, uh, you know, he he had more good years after his peak. I think that's probably fair to say. Yeah. And he finished with better counting numbers. Um, I know the rate stats probably favor Reigns. I think that's true. I think that's very fair. I mean, then you add in the defensive value that Biggio provided, whereas Reigns could not hack it at second base. Biggio was at least playable because he played it for. You know,
1: thousands of games Yeah, I mean, BGO has 796 career OPS And I guess the rate stats are Fairly ordinary, I mean, I heard Chris Russo On MLB Network the other day railing against him Being a 281 hitter, I always thought 281 was pretty good <laughs> You know, uh, especially when you Factor in, that, what percentage of his career Was in the Astrodome? Half of it? A little yeah, more than half? up to
2: 2000
1: I mean, that's a pretty big Matzo ball hanging out there, that he played <laughs> All those games there um, So it's a 796 OPS Versus ranges at Eight ten, 10 but Reigns also, again, the advantage there, I guess, for Reigns in the rate stats is that he became a semi-regular uh, at about age 35, whereas BGO was still a regular for six more years at the end of his career, so his rate stats came down while his counting numbers. He built those counting numbers. I mean, I don't hold that. I just think you have to acknowledge that when you're comparing these two players. In other words, to me, their offensive contributions were very similar, and BGO played the infield. I think of Biggio as the better player. Slightly. But I think of him as the better player. In your mind, who's the better player? Yeah. Reigns or Biggio? Biggio.
2: He was on both of our ballots. Yep. Our, our mock uh, Hall of Fame election ballots. Right. Both of us excluded Reigns just because we and ran out of only room. We had ten places.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I, you know, I think Tim Reigns deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I think Craig Biggio deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I think Craig Biggio was better. I think it's slight. And I, I'm stunned that the sabermetric community is kind of not in Biggio's Corner, it feels like it's not. When I always remember, we both remember, the Bill James, the second historical abstract. I think both of us read the first historical abstract. Mm-hmm. I own it. It's one of my favorite books. It's a, probably a book I have reread like 50 times. That used to be in the heaviest rotation in my house in the bathroom. So, full disclosure. The initial publication from the 80s? Yes. That book was in very heavy... That book has been flagged a billion times. Thomas <laughs> is never getting that book back. I think I actually did buy it at the Brentanos in Boca Raton when I was in high school. Second of all, the second historical abstract, which is not quite as good as the first. I would say not nearly as good as the first. I think Bill James probably admits that too. But one of the most, one of the pieces that sticks with us, I think, the most is here, I'm going to take this 1997 season and I'm going to show you how Craig Biggio was better than uh, King Griffey Jr. was that year. And all the little things that Biggio did never hitting into double plays on a consistent basis, always getting a lot of hit by pitches. Stealing bases more efficiently than other players did. He was an extremely efficient player. He was kind of a like poor man's Joe Morgan, basically. Mm-hmm. Offensively, very similar kind of pro to Morgan. Hit for a higher average. Drew fewer walks, but hit for a higher average. Not the defensive player Morgan was. Mm-hmm. Morgan's clearly better. But I think there's also I mean, there's second baseman who started their career with the Astros. I, I think there's a lot of commonalities there. But well, you opened the door to uh, sabermetrics here. So I I'm, did.
2: So I'm going to cite the fact that Craig Biggio ranks seventh all time. This is back to 1901. Seventh all time in offensive WAR, uh, yep. wins above replacement, which accounts for production
1: at the plate and on the bases. And I think I, I think we agree that the advanced metrics are so inconsistent, or are so much less consistent measuring defense. That we thought it was important for this just to focus on their offensive contributions. Yeah, and
2: he's in the same neighborhood as Charlie Geringer, Roberto Alomar, Lou Whitaker, and Rosenberg. Ranks, Ryan ahead, Sandberg, of, ranks ahead of Alomar,
1: Lou Whitaker and Bobby Gritch obviously come out uh, celebrated uh, cases for sabermetric analysis uh, advocates, I guess I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, come out very well in this score, as they should. I mean, I just, I'm still stunned that Lou Whitaker fell off the ballot so fast. One thing is one thing I saw posted somewhere was well maybe now Morris Whitaker and Trammell can all go in together through the Veterans Committee once Trammell is off the ballot. It is amazing that and we'll talk about Morris some. It's amazing that Morris lasted the longest on the ballot. I mean, like I guess he retired first, but I mean, like he was seen in some quarters the best of those three when I really think it was... I, I would go Trammell, Whitaker, Morris. And Trammell gets no traction, yeah. It's very strange that Morris gets this traction. Uh, that, and Trammell's that Trammell still
2: visible in the game because he's still... He's coaching. He's, he's a he's, coach. I mean, he's on the all the time.
1: He's in the consciousness of the baseball writers. I think I think the, the the quality of Jack Morris's hair, both on his head and on his mustache, uh, just seemingly give him some serious points he's like the Samson of this vote it didn't get him in though Chuck Norris points they are they absolutely are (laughs) but Reigns also in this offensive war study Mm -hmm. quick and dirty study comes out very well Matt he also ranks
2: 7th you know and it's behind all time greats like Ruth and Bonds and Williams at left field Ruth played a lot of left field I didn't remember that and Ricky and uh, he is behind Yastrzemski and ahead of Billy Williams Willie Stargell and Al Simmons three Hall of
1: Famers So Tim Raines should be in the Hall of Fame, is what we're saying there. Um, So should Craig Biggio. Craig Biggio's going to get in. Mm -hmm. Do you think Tim Raines will get in, Matt?
2: That's so hard to say. I mean, he's probably at a similar point where guys like Levin were. Right. You know, at this point in the voting. It's going to be one of those, you know, this is his last
1: time on the ballot. we got to vote for him situations. I think that's very very possible. Um, Now, we, again, on the Baseball America balloting, I forget, did he get in or not? He did not. He did not get in. He received a little under half the votes of, out of our 24 votes cast. So what we decided to do, now, was this your idea or was this... Yeah, it was my idea. I, it, was a, it was a great idea. I was I'd... very encouraged about that idea. And then it, the fact that we executed it pretty quickly was, was really neat. Oh, yeah. Participants were more than eager to cast a mock ballot for this. So what we did was we decided, you know, we had a lot of baseball Americans and uh, who've worked here now and in the past. Which one is it here, Matt? Oh,
2: that's the look back, sorry. Oh,
1: yeah, I see the look back. Go go to the
2: majors page. Well,
1: we, so what we did was we took the 11 of us who currently work for Baseball America, and then we asked a lot of our alumni, people who don't work here anymore, whether it's people like Jim Callis, who are writers elsewhere, or people who, uh, you know, are working in the game. And we have four or five alumni who are scouts for teams. And then we also asked, our founder, Alan Simpson, uh, and the New York Times, Alan Schwartz, who's the only person that we asked in this group who is has been a member of the baseball writers association and we sent the ballots and tw- we got 24 responses we went 24 for 24 in our respondents and now we elected seven guys in the ba ballot so you had to have out of those 24 i guess we had 22 votes at the time right when you counted them i updated it yeah. okay yeah you had that 18 of 24 updated. votes you had to have 18 of 24 votes to get the 75 percent mm-hmm. maddox tom maddox glavin and thomas all got in Unanimously. Uh, unanimously. Wow! Well, how about that? All twenty-four votes. Piazza, Clemens, Bonds, Bagwell, also in. We did have one person who voted for Clemens and not for Bonds. I will not out that voter. Um, but I, I was I was impressed that we had a bigger a big haul. That's I was glad we had a big haul. That's that's it's hard to get that kind of consensus. Seventy-five percent
2: consensus on anything. On anything. And it's I think we have a unique perspective in that we're passionate about baseball, but we can
1: also view it dispassionately. Right. That's a great way to put it. And also, there's still some range in there from an Alan Schwartz who wrote a book about the history of statistics in baseball. I would say Alan is probably the most sabermetrically inclined current or former B.A. staffer. Is that fair to say? Mm-hmm. I mean, he wrote the book on it. To Alan Simpson. Great book. Yeah, It is a great book. To Alan Simpson, who invented prospect coverage, basically, at Baseball America. Invented our magazine. Uh, if you like what we do, you owe Alan Simpson a debt. For whatever reason, I don't think Allen ever sought being in the BBWAA. He did. He did seek it. You asked him. He was denied in the early 80s. That's great to know. That's a great tidbit to know. A, that's a joke. That is a joke. B, Allen Simpson needs to get the Ford Frick Award at some point. Mm -hmm. Allen Simpson needs to be in the the National Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum. Not because Baseball America is so awesome. Because he invented prospect and draft coverage. Yes. Which, if you listen to this podcast, you are interested in. So, that guy... Change the way baseball is covered, just like Bill James did, and he needs to be in the Hall of Fame. I feel really strongly about that, and it, it bothers me that he's not. Uh, I don't think he's eligible for that award because he wasn't in the BBWAA. Right. Even it's though the same thing with Bill James. Yeah, it, it, it drives me crazy. It's very frustrating. So, so Alan had, uh, but Alan's ballot was more weighted toward the '80s players than ours were. But I do think Matt. I think that. A lot of the focus has been on how the ballot treats players from the PED era. I think one point that you and I have really noticed, I'm sure others have as well, is that the balloting right now and the Hall of Fame is really tougher on 80s players than it is on 90s players. It is. Guys like Reigns and Trammell
2: cannot gain traction because their case can't be heard over the din of all this PED outrage and, and whatnot. Uh, that's, that's a great way. That's it. It's th- that outrage. And so Objectively, Reigns and Trammell had Hall of Fame careers. They satisfy all the requirements to be in there, but they're just they really don't have a chance.
1: They both have pretty significant peaks. I mean, MVP award for Trammell. Did he do that or no, it was, oh, no run, he didn't? Runner I'm up. sorry. He was runner he up
2: George Bell won, but Trammell should have won.
1: Yes. He's also the star <laughs> shortstop right. for
2: a, a World Series winner.
1: Right. I mean and that, and that Tigers team, it's amazing that eighty four Tigers team, thirty five and five start. When you think back to best baseball seasons, that is one of the most dominant seasons ever. Mm-hmm. And that team doesn't have a Hall of Famer. Nope. And it has a lot. I mean, it had a very strange. Uh, who won the Hall? Who won the MVP that year? Is that Hernandez? Is yeah, that, Willie Hernandez. Willie Hernandez, Willie Hernandez. He won the MVP and the Cy Young yep. as their reliever. <laughs> but when you think significant careers, you think Trammell, Whitaker, Morris, Kirk Gibson, Darrell La- Evans. Evans, Lance Parrish was one of the best catchers of the 80s. It's You don't think of Willie Hernandez, but no. <laughs> he's the guy who won the award. Um, but they didn't have great starting pitching, I guess. Dan Petrie was a number two guy, right? Mm-hmm. Sounds right. Um, so that team is not represented at all in the Hall of Fame, really. And Trammell seems like he's the best candidate. And he's not, like you said, he's not gaining any traction. Um, you know, Mark, uh, Mark McGuire, you can kind of think of him as a child of the 80s, but he's really a, a 90s guy. But you know, Lee Smith's more of an 80s guy. These guys are all kind of falling off the ballot. And uh, but I think like Reigns and Trammell, to me, are the two guys who are the best examples of 80s players who really have. And Trammell, where did he come out in our offensive uh, war study at shortstop? And really, what throws us in relief is some of the
2: 80s guys who got elected by the BBWA Jim Rice. in the past decade. Rice and Dawson. Yeah, excellent great players,
1: point. but I think they, they have to go in after Reigns and Trammell. I, I don't think there's a question. And uh, Jim Rice. That's going to be one that, uh, that's going to look bad. His best seasons were in the 70s, but the bulk of his career, I think, was in the 80s. And that's going to be one that historically is going to look back and you're going to say, wow. That's one of the lesser players that the, that the writers elected. Most of the lesser Hall of Famers are Veterans Committee people. Yep. I'm not saying Rice shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. I'm saying that he's one of the lesser careers voted in to the Hall of Fame. And if you measure his career in Larry Walker's, I don't think he measures up to Larry Walker, personally. We can get to that in a minute. Yes. Uh,
2: Trammell is number 10,
1: just in terms of offensive contributions
2: by shortstops. So this is being generous. This is counting Alex Rodriguez and Ernie Banks as shortstops.
1: Your cutoff was basically like a third of your career a at, shorts, at a position, correct. correct? Yeah. So,
2: you know, at the top you have A-Rod, you have Honus Wagner and Derek Jeter, number three. And then uh, Trammel down at 10, right ahead of Ernie Banks, uh, Pee Wee Reese, Right. Lou Boudreau, Toby Harris, guys like that. But the that.
1: only '80s shortstop ahead of him, correct me if I'm wrong, are, are, Tra- are uh, Ripken and Yount, right? Yep. the only two '80s shortstops ahead of him, uh, both of whom moved off the, the position. Trammell never did, uh, not for any significant amount of time. And uh, both those guys, you know, Robin Yount, I guess they had better peaks, so clearly. They won MVP awards. Mm-hmm. And I think at the time, I was obviously young in the 80s. Uh, but I did watch a lot of baseball back then. I, I know I thought Robin Yount was the best of those guys. I mm-hmm. thought he was be- the best of those guys. And then when he moved to center field, I thought it was Ripken. Or as Lacey Lusk would say, Kripken. <laughs> One of our voters. Uh, Lacey Lusk, former B.A. staffer, current Nationals correspondent for us. Um, but yeah, I, I always thought Trammell was... When you thought of the best shortstops of the 80s, he was on the short list every year. That level of consistency uh has not been rewarded by the voters yet. So is there another eighties player who you think is getting jobbed or jorbed? Or do you think do you think Jack Morris is getting jobbed or jorbed out of this?
2: I don't think I would nominate Morris as being uh slighted in this process. How about you? I don't, you? Is I don't there, is think there another eighties so. guy you would argue for?
1: Not that I can think of off the top of my head. Uh like, I don't think I mean like Dale Murphy. I don't think he got slighted. Um, I do think if Jim Rice is in, I think Dale Murphy probably should that's be a slippery in. slope. Yeah, I <laughs> think is. I do think that. But I think again, I think Larry Walker is better than both those jokers. Um, but yeah, I think Dale Murphy's the one who's the closest to being slighted. I mean, okay. uh, the fact that he did had that power and played center field, um, I think is pretty unique. And his peak is a Hall of Fame peak. I don't think he was good enough long enough. For, I don't think the Hall of Fame is lesser for not having him in, but I don't think it would be dis- diminished by having Dale Murphy in. If he got in, it would bother me in the least. So, uh, But Jack Morris only got one vote out of the 24 BA staffers. Lee Smith also only one vote. Uh, working my way up from the bottom here, Matt, I was stunned, though, that Alan Trammell only got four BA votes. He um, did get one more than Jeff Kent and two more than Shark McGuire, um, as the superstars would call him. Um, Larry Walker only five votes. Edgar Martinez only six. Deadspin put had uh, Edgar Martinez Edgar, on their on their votes. Mussina. That surprised me. Yeah. Um, that really surprised me. Mussina got eleven BA votes. As did Tim Raines. As did Kurt Schilling. A little surprised that Schilling and Mussina got less than fifty percent in our ballot, and they certainly did better in the BA mock ballot than they did on the BBWAA ballot, Matt, I think you have a very strong point about starting pitchers who pitched in the PED era, uh, they should get bonus points, not have it held against them, uh, and Schilling and Mussina were clearly two of the best starters during that era. Yeah, I voted for every single pitcher uh, possible. Maddox, Glavin,
2: Mussina, Schilling, and Clemens, just based on everything was stacked against the pitcher. From you know, nineteen ninety three through two thousand nine, <laughs>
1: right? Absolutely, and you
2: know, small parks,
1: small strike zone, uh, you know, hitter enhanced hitters, m- harder play- bats. Players like Marcus Giles going oppo with home runs. Yeah. Players like Brett Boone going, you know, hitting forty yeah, some home runs. Number eight
2: hitters had power,
1: right? Which was not true in the days of Seaver and Koufax. Absolutely, that never had been true in baseball history. Really, not even in the not even in the the thirties. You know, you didn't have no. bottom of the order hitters. Out, you know, And it is enhanced to an extent for Mussina that he did it in the American League East his whole career. Um, I will say, I don't buy the argument that Mussina was necessarily better than Tom Glavin. For me, their careers are a push. Mm -hmm. Um, I know, I, I say this with some bitterness considering that I traded... Mucina for a package headlined by Glavin in my Sim League. I won the league anyway in 2002, by oh, the way. How many times did you start Glavin in that World Series? That'll be never. That'll <laughs> be <laughs> Glavin did not make the cut for my postseason roster behind Izzy Valdez and wow. John Thompson. <laughs> yes. So so Tom Glavin was like my fifth or sixth starter that year. And that was a year that he had a good year in real life. Ismael Valdez. So, yeah. when's he get on the
2: ballot?
1: Uh, I think he's already been off. But... um. So I know from Sim Leagues how much better they value Mussina versus Glavin. But I think in real life, Tom Glavin threw 900 more innings and gave up fewer home runs in a home run era. Those are not insignificant things to me. He had a better postseason history. Uh, But I still think Mike Mussina deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I didn't vote for him in this balloting. I voted for Larry Walker over him. And there's not a real rational reason except that I just don't like Mike Mussina. And I think that I like Larry. I love Larry Walker as a player. Uh So when you have a crowded ballot like that, I was more inclined to vote for Walker. It's not 100% rational, and I should have voted for Mussina. I think he's a deserving Hall of Famer. I think he will eventually get in. Mm -hmm. Um, But to me, Schilling especially, I'm stunned that Schilling doesn't get more traction. I don't understand that at all. Do you? Does what is his, the reason? Does this personality rub people the wrong way? I mean... Maybe, but I mean, like, I would think a guy who's that quotable, yeah, writers I would know. love.
2: And they don't. I mean, to me, he's a slam dunk. Number one strikeout-to-walk ratio of all time. One of the greatest playoff pitchers of the last 30 years.
1: It really does seem like the win total is completely what holds him back. And that just doesn't make sense. I mean, even though the writers have... Didn't the writers vote in Don Drysdale? Mm-hmm. He had more wins than Drysdale. Kind of a similar career, similar type pitcher, just did everything better. And his postseason record really is the best of the modern era. Mm -hmm. He's the best postseason
2: pitcher of my lifetime. He's like um, the one or two starter for four World Series teams.
1: That's, that's amazing. <laughs> that really is three, amazing. Three different franchises. Over an 11-year span. Yeah. I mean, for a long time. I mean, two, 1993 with the Phillies, the first time he emerged as a number one starter mm-hmm. on a pennant winner. And he was still a number one starter on a World Series winner in 2004. I mean, like, he was better than Pedro that year. He just he was. It pains mm-hmm. me to say that. But he was better. So, And then, obviously, what he did with the Diamondbacks in between. Uh, pretty amazing. So... That's, a, that's an amazing career. He's a difference maker for three franchises, two of which won World Series with him. And uh, and he has the other career numbers to go with it. So I'm stunned that he doesn't get in. Um, can I talk about Larry Walker now? Yeah, Larry my, Walker. My, my, Larry Wal- <laughs> my Larry Walker corollary is, first, the bar was lowered with Jim Rice. Second of all, and I think Larry Walker has a very similar career, that he's a corner outfielder whose career numbers are inflated by his home park. That's clear. And like Rice, he had some amazing peaks, triple crown category peaks, slash triple crowns, I guess, really, ink. for Walker. A lot of black ink. Course field-aided, but they did play those games. That's a league park, so it's in the stats. I acknowledge it, but it is you can't just discount it because it happened at Coors. And then I give him a lot of extra points for his base-running acumen uh, and his fielding. I mean, people think of him as the guy who handed the ball to the Dodger fan with only two outs. That's the highlight you always see. But he was the best defensive right fielder in baseball for a Mm -hmm. decade. If he wasn't the best, he was in the the clutch of the best. He won best tools after best tools for best base runner. He always won best base runner. Mm -hmm. And he always gets brought up by scouts like, well, the best instincts I ever saw was a Canadian guy from Maple Ridge, B.C. So how does that happen? But he had scout after scout has told me, this guy had the best instincts of the player they ever saw. And I think from a scouting and player development point of view, Larry Walker is always held up as the perfect right fielder. Mm-hmm. That carried weight with me. So I would vote for him over, say, Edgar Martinez. Yep. I would vote for him over... I would actually probably take him slightly over Tim Raines. I mean, They're both Hall of Famers, but if you're, if I had to choose one expo... I would choose <laughs> Monsieur
2: Walker. That's what I was just going to say. If I took my ballot to 11, I'm not sure who would, who would get, get in, Reigns or Walker or Tramble.
1: It, that's right. All three of those guys are I think, very similar careers. I think Walker is hurt by being an offensive. His offensive numbers were compiled in an offensive era and in an offensive ballpark. And, and he, that's also, hurting him. He got, like, single-digit vote percentage, right? Yeah, and no, like, no playoff appearances. or Very few. 95 Rockies, right? Uh, No, I think it's actually 2004 uh, Cardinals. Cardinals. That's his playoff career, I think. There might have been one or two of the Rockies. He played
2: in obscurity, too, in Montreal and Denver. I mean, two of the least publicized franchises in the NL during that period.
1: Very much so. That's a, that's a great point. I, th- I don't think that helps then, then he came to the Cardinals. Oh, this guy's great. Yeah, yeah. He even ended his career at Cardinals. It was kind of revelatory where people were like, oh, my God, look at this guy hitting for home runs at age 35 or whatever. <laughs> he also did not stick around. Injuries ended his career yes, a one. little bit earlier. So it was 38 years old, but also he's Canadian, so he didn't really get, become a regular until he was 23. Um, you know, and playing in Montreal, all those kind of things. But to me, this guy's peak is Hall of Fame-worthy. Yeah. I'm surprised. That his all around, I think his all-around game is what puts him over the top because he was a great defender, a great base runner, great teammate. All those things, those intangibles, some of them are tangible, some of them are intangibles, combined with what he tangibly did on the field make him a Hall of Famer for me. I think the, the contrast to Walker is on this year's ballot. Sammy Sosa.
2: <laughs> a great point. Larry Walker is, is so far superior to him. From an all-around standpoint, he's, um, again, I'm going to cite this old war. Yeah, I like it. From baseball reference uh, play index. Uh, Larry Walker's 15th among right fielders all-time. That's pretty amazing. It is pretty good such a short career. Where's Sammy Susser? He's not in the top 25. Sammy is not in the top 25? Because he has no value on the bases. Other than home runs. And, and uh, like Walker, I mean, he also benefited from a uh, friendly home park. Wow. I mean, Walker's not the only one. That's amazing. I didn't realize so. that
1: Sammy Susser was not in the top got, 25. got a big fat zero in our polling which was kind of shocking, too. He did get a big fat zero. Um, yeah, that was a little bit surprising. Um, which, which personal ballot, you don't have to name the ballot, but was there one ballot that on our ballots that stood out to you as the most interesting ballot or the most surprising ballot? The most interesting trend to me were the
2: partial ballots that did not contain Craig Biggio. Hmm. That, that spoke very loudly to
1: me, the fact that people... Several of those were by our staffers who no longer work here, correct? And that work in the game. So, um, that, that was surprising to me as well. So the, the shortest ballots, did everyone who currently works here fill out a 10 man ballot? No. Okay. But most, but the majority did. The vast majority, yes. But the outside, the people who no longer work here had the shorter ballots. Mm -hmm. Uh, that was, that was a little bit surprising, a little bit revelatory. So that's, you know, there there was a trend there. Another piece of info in the Craig Biggio in or out (laughs) argument. Yep. I agree. Um, we talked also about players who we would vote for. I, I agree with you: Reigns, Trammell, Walker. My next three would, would be—they they were my next three as well. I'm surprised that Edgar Martinez, generally in the public domain, seems like he's considered higher than those guys. Certainly a better hitter, um, you know. I, I, I guess consistently, but I wouldn't say he's, I don't see how you can say he's a better player than Larry Walker. Yeah, he suffers to me. From being kinda of like
2: third banana on some great Mariners teams. Yeah. Like if he if he was their best player, maybe he'd have more of a case, but Griffey and, and Randy Johnson were at least regarded as the better players. Now
1: these career war numbers on the spreadsheet that you sent out, these are these are B ref, not fan beers, correct? Yeah, yeah. Career War Walker comes out ahead of uh Martinez. Their peak value he comes out a little bit higher, the Jaws uh, WAR more seven, which I like that. Yeah, their Jaws terrible. scores are uh, comes out a little bit more for Walker. I'm, a, I'm just a little surprised that uh, they were basically the same player offensively in their overall offensive contribution. And Larry Walker, like I said, one of the all-time great base runners. You just go through B.A.'s best tools. He won it every stinking year, man. He was winning best base runner when he was like 36. Great you know? mullet, too. <laughs> World-class mullet. That's not an insignificant factor. No, so, definitely not. But uh, I, think, I think the only people who voted for him were me and uh, it's very easy to figure. So he only got no, five
2: votes. He got some support.
1: Okay, he, I, I thought he only got two.
2: If the ballot wasn't so crowded, he would definitely have been
1: a stronger showing. Well, next year's ballot: Randy Johnson, <laughs> Pedro Martinez, John Smoltz. Yeah. Are all those guys first ballot guys for you? Oh yeah, for I really? think so. For me too, yeah. I, absolutely. Smoltz like a better version of Eckersley, basically similar careers, yeah. um, amazing postseason track record. Uh, I'm not. has uh, got to get in. What's the record for? Was the, was the initial class of five? Is that still the biggest class in baseball Hall of Fame history?
2: I believe under the modern rules, the, the 1955 class had four electees, one of
1: them being Dazzy Vance. So, <laughs> nice. Dazzy Vance, pretty unique career. Yes. Didn't did he lead the. Uh, uh, wasn't he a rookie at age 31 for the Brooklyn yeah, Dodgers? You got to start very late, and he struck out a
2: million guys at a time, and that was not common. Correct. It was like the 1930s and 40s.
1: Yeah, I really. Um, yeah, next year could be epic. I mean, Randy Johnson. T- this year is going to be epic, though. It is pretty good, though. Three guys, and then those three managers. I-, I will. I'll say again. I'm shocked that the PED question that gets asked about all these players never comes up with Tony Larusa. I'm just stunned. Tony Larusa managed the A's in the late '80s, where really is it kind of st- our modern steroid story started with mm-hmm. Canseco. and then he managed McGuire in the '90s in St. Louis, the other epicenter besides Balco. But somehow this doesn't
2: come up with Tony LaRusso. That and that leads us probably to what should be one of our closing points: is the bonds and Clements, bonds and Clements, and and the other guys painted with the PED brush. So why why were they in? Because they're both on both of our ballots, yeah. And they made it through our mock election. So why
1: are they in for you? Why are they in for me? Is I guess Bob Casas has made this reasoning, and so have others. Uh, It's certainly not original or something I came up with. But they, uh, to me especially, bonds was clearly a Hall of Famer. If he died in the plane crash in 1997, he was going to go in the Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I would say the same thing probably for Roger Clemens, although it's less clear for Roger Clemens at that point in his career. Because, you know, those last years in Boston, he struck out a lot of guys. He walked a ton of guys. And he was uneven. Those last four years in Boston were uneven. He was not the same guy, dominant guy he'd been. Apparently he picked up on this. Um, (laughs) But, but yeah, to me those guys are different. And they were just so good. And when they used, when we, we, when we believed they used mm-hmm. performance enhancers, Barry Bonds became the best hitter the planet had ever seen, not named Ruth. And I would still say probably better because he was facing better competition. Mm-hmm. And Roger Clemens was the best pitcher we'd probably ever seen. I mean, just uh, yeah, those guys were unparalleled players. And in some ways, I'm kind of glad they used because I got to see them do things that I never would have seen a human being ever do. It was, it was you know, scientific experiment. They really were. Take the best talented, most talented player in baseball, then give him this crazy concoction of performance enhancers, and, and, and you got Barry Bonds. Make him one louder. <laughs> I think they made him like ten louder. <laughs> you know, they, they, they definitely didn't go guy with it, that's for sure. Um, so Barry Bonds and, and Clemens we both voted for. And to me, Rafael Palmero is more of like Harold Baines with steroids, not the greatest player of all time. Not one of an all-time greats with steroids. He's basically, his career is very similar to Harold Baines. He got bigger counting numbers because he used Sammy Sosa, like you said, no all-around game. Uh, Mark McGuire is basically a better version of Dave Kingman. He's basically Kingman with steroids um, and in more offensive parks and a more offensive era. Uh, so I felt comfortable leaving all those guys off. And I, I don't think we can say for sure that Piazza and Bagwell used, so I can't. I couldn't hold it against them, so I, that's why I voted for them. So that's, that's why I make those distinctions. And Piazza, demanding uh, position, uh, and then Bagwell was an all-around player as a first baseman. Oh yeah, uh, stole a lot of bases, was a good defender, scored a million runs. Yeah, so I mean, like to me, those guys just get in, and they're just they have better cases than Sosa, Palmero, McGuire.
2: That yeah, to me it kind of comes down to you know, what you said. If you just give Bonds and Clemens a typical decline phase, right? They're they're clear. Clear Hall of Famers. That's a great point, too. Uh, but the other reason is, you know, everybody benefited from, I know, benefited from uh, the steroids in the game. Yep. You know, the players got more money. The agents who represented the players got more money. Great The point. teams made more money. Major League Baseball, for being the blanket organization, is more profitable than it's ever been. Oh, yeah. So I know that you know, living Hall of Famers don't want to sit through induction speeches for Bonds and Clemens. I but get the, that. But the, but the fact is, is that,
1: you know, the entire game benefited... During this era, we can't ignore that era, and I really do get upset when I hear Bob Costas <laughs> say. That I watched that MLB Network Hall of Fame spe- preview special that they did the night before, which I thought was very well done, even though they had Chris Russo on it. But um, but Bob Costas said like that comparing uh, amphetamine use in the '60s to PED use in the '90s is like comparing conventional weapons and nuclear weapons. And first of all, it's pronounced nuclear. <laughs> <laughs> and number two, I don't think it is. I don't see how you can call amphetamine. You can say steroids are a performance enhancer, but amphetamines aren't. That's just bull. That is bull. And it's just very plain that in that era, in the 60s, you had the home run all-time champion in Hank Aaron, who says he used amphetamines. You had the number three all-time guy in Willie Mays, who used. I don't know about Frank Robinson. I'm guessing he used he was number four back in the day, and Harmon Killebrew was number five, and he played in that era. I mean, I'm sorry, but those guys used performance enhancers. Now, I'm not moralizing about them. I'm just saying I don't see how you can make that huge a distinction between those guys and Bonds and Clemens. I, I don't. I don't. I'm not saying that those guys are were, are as bad as users of Clemens and Bonds, but Bonds and Clemens just had better drugs to use, more effective drugs to use, so they used them, just like Mays and. Aaron did. So for me, I can't say that the PEDs of the 90s are morally worse or tilted the playing field more or destroyed the integrity so much more than amphetamines in the 60s when everybody was beamed up and using greenies. So that, as J.J. Cooper would say, is what a, um Anything else, Matt, for you on the Hall of Fame? I think we, uh, we, we've we covered a lot of this. I will say that A-Rod a- will be the, the next Bonds Clemens. I don't think we know when A. Rod used. He may have used in high school. For all we know. I mean, I seriously, he was a man among boys. I just was talking to a scout in the, uh, for that Mike Trout story we did in the fall, and uh, I didn't use any of his material because we got off the subject, and he kept talking. Like, you know, I thought that I never saw more of a man among boys except for maybe Alex Rodriguez when he, when, he when he was in high school. But then we went off the rails there because we just I just said, well, do you think he used in high school? We said, ah, who knows? Who knows? Because he was a man among boys. Mm-hmm. And he always was, and who knows how much of it's natural and how much of it came out of a bottle, so we don't know. I would definitely encourage people to read a couple things we did, though. I I liked our mock ballot preview. I love Alan Schwartz's story on Greg Maddox and the scouting of Greg Maddox. I like our prospect lookbacks, puts those guys in some context. Um, Because, you know, when we're doing the prospect handbook, Matt, there are probably future Hall of Famers in that book and probably somebody who got a 60 high. (laughs) You know, or a sixty extreme that we just didn't know. Uh, We can't know, so uh, I do think it's uh, it's that's one of the worst parts of the PED era is it's made scouts' jobs even harder. They're already hard enough, and you just don't know who the true greats were and who the uh, and that's why I feel like those '80s players should be even a little bit more celebrated. Um, I think so.
2: It'd almost be fun to see a runoff election, like a one-time-only runoff election of the '80s stars here. In or out? Make the call. On um, the, the guys like Morris,
1: Trammell, Ed, yeah, Al, et cetera, et cetera. Ads. Yeah. And then the guys who fall off the ballot, like uh, le- like Lou Whitaker and like a Kenny Lofton, guys who aren't on the ballot, That I just can't believe they're on the ballot. And wagging your finger at Congress gets you off the ballot faster than not than, than saying, I'm not here to talk about the past. We have figured that out as well. Uh, <laughs> the Palmero playbook does not work. All right, great stuff, Matt. That was fun. I uh, enjoyed it. So uh reminder again baseballamerica.com slash store for the baseball america hall of fame almanac our 2014 almanac capping the 2013 season the prospect handbook and all of our other products here at baseball america format eddie i'm john Manuel. we'll see you on the next baseball america podcast
0: everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day